Take your time machine back to 2022. And one of the main narratives was that Solana is dead. They were inextricably tied to SPF and FTX and Solana was going to zero. Fast forward only a few months into 2023 and Solana is actually doing many more transactions by many multiples than Ethereum and other layer twos and layer ones. Why is Solana still so popular? What are they building? Why are developers still committed to this chain? I talked to Anatoly Yakovenko today, the CEO founder, and he told us exactly why Solana is still winning. That's dope. That's dope. Congratulations, first of all. Uh, you're not dead. Solana still exists, uh, much to the despair of Bitcoin maxis worldwide and anyone who uh, is looking at you guys after FTX. So <laughs> Unbelievable do, do, FOD, man. Unbelievable. Do you think, do you think Bitcoin maxis want Solana dead more than Ethereum maxis? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question, actually. I might have like misappropriated that hatred. I mean, what do you make of it? I actually think that there's a vast majority of crypto folks appreciate what we're doing and there's a small minority that's always like the super diehard fans but if they weren't you know bitching about solana they'd be bitching about something else it's just that no, you know, they are yeah. <laughs> they're bitching yeah. about solana and layer twos and yeah you name it they're they're, they're bitching yeah. about anything that's not their thing but yeah I, I know it was a rough time that you obviously had you know at the tail end of last year but i think that was shared by most of the market but uh, i'm assuming in your mind nothing had changed through any of that yeah, um, it was pretty scary. Like, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but um, kind of running that hackathon, Grizzlython, and seeing, like, you know, our registration numbers and the number of teams that submitted projects to be higher than the previous hackathons, it felt like, okay, there's, like, the the market sentiment is, like, totally disjoint from, like, what's actually going on on the ground and, like, devs like don't care about this little detail <laughs> right like everyone i think that's an influencer in crypto is like hyper aware of like ftx and their place in the in the market and stuff like that but the engineers actually don't they don't they want to build products they don't really care about like one exchange or another that's yeah and just, speaking of products yeah. i mean you've got the phone yeah. coming right or the phone's here yep. right the, excuse yeah. me you've got the phone launched um, which I'm seeing uh, everywhere. So it feels like they're popular and people are buying them and using them. Uh, maybe we should just start there. I mean, why the phone and how's the reception been? Yeah, so phone was kind of a crazy idea conceived uh, about a year ago, but a little more than a year ago. And the thought there was that, first of all, like I spent most of my career at Qualcomm. As soon as I got into crypto, I was immediately kind of like, why... Like, don't we use the technology that we already have for secure signing? And there's like a couple interesting pieces that have been built. Even, you know, this was like five years ago at this point. One is uh, there's a secure element on every device that stores your biometrics. That's the, that's the place where your seed phrase should be stored. The operating system can't touch it. Uh, there's a way to isolate the display and the touch screen. So the operating system can't read it. And it's called, you know, secure touch and secure display. And that means that you can't take a screenshot of your seed phrase, right? Like even if you're like messing around with it, entering it or, or like stuff like that, Android can't steal it. The applications can't steal it. So there's this, all this stuff already existed five years ago. So I immediately felt like, why don't we have at least an Android device that does this? Uh, and the second piece is that, and that 
took a while to realize is that like if you believe that it's okay for humans to own digital content like do you think if that's like a fundamental right or should be allowed <laughs> uh that's very contradictory to how all the big tech app stores work today and it's such a weird subtle thing but when you buy a movie on apple you don't actually buy it you're renting it from apple indefinitely and you can watch it and, and do whatever with it but you can't sell it you can't transfer it to your kids you can't like put it up on ebay hey i got this like vhs tape <laughs> you can't do a garage sale in your neighborhood hey take pick up all my vhs tapes right my, my collection of vhs tapes so like big companies like big tech companies don't want this idea of digital ownership and like this started happening in the 90s windows stopped letting people transfer their licenses and stuff like that you are no longer like buying software in a box that you could sell to somebody else you are kind of licensing uh something to be used on a specific machine for a specific amount of time um so with web3 though you have real ownership of digital assets like i buy an nft i own it i can sell it for whatever price the market's willing to bear and magic eden or any other like tensor or any other nft marketplace can't charge 30 percent more in their ios experience for the same nft that they sell on the desktop <laughs> and they can't eat those fees because they don't own the content they're not leasing the content to their users so like that that's such a weird thing to think about but like the way all of tech is built around digital content is that the user doesn't own it the user purely consumes it they you know ideally pay a subscription fee and they're constantly consuming it without actually like taking ownership of anything so if you believe that that's weird and kind of messed up, then Web3 is for you. <laughs> but how does that actually transfer to the technology that's built into right. the phone? I mean, so, I obviously understand the uh, you know body metrics and face ID and, and not being able to take a picture of your seed phrase, which I think is amazing because yeah. most people are dumb and you're going to lose their seed phrases or mess it up in some way, shape or form. But, you know, how does that make a superior experience for ownership? How does it help sort of right. really so, in real time live out the ethos of Web3 and of crypto? So you need like the self-custody piece is obviously important because that's what lets you take ownership of digital content. And the second part is that you need an app store. You actually need a marketplace where this stuff is possible to build and distribute to users. And you can do it on the web. And this is where crypto has been basically trying to find a foothold is like through websites and these weird like kind of desktop applications but ideally you have mobile apps that are native that have rich experiences that you can deploy through an app store and people can go use them and buy and sell and do whatever they want with their nfts or, or tokens so the second kind of fundamental piece of technology in the solana mobile stack is the the web3 app store so there's no fees there application developers can build their you know whatever token nft gated features or solutions that they want to add and they can trade nfts and stuff like that um so this is what a lot of developers are excited about um and the big question is is this going to translate it to like users just are the users do the users care enough about self-custody and like that rich awesome ux of like using these applications that they're willing to give up an iPhone, right? Or their main Android device and go get this, go go pick up a saga. And 
This is definitely the first time I've seen people tweet that they're willing to give go from an iPhone to an Android device. So there is a, there's a cohort of diehard Web3 fans that care more about crypto than they care about Apple, which is pretty cool. I do think that there's a bit of an anti-Apple yeah. sentiment to a degree, certainly in the crypto community, maybe maybe not everywhere. But the issues that you pointed out before, I think, have become sort of mainstream knowledge and weren't before. There's been a lot of pushback against the App Store and the way that they've treated things and their predatory fees. So it is good timing, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as the more and more of the economy becomes digital, this is going to be like you can't have a 30 percent tax on every digital interaction you have. Like, it's just absurd. So I think these business models have to change. I don't know what it's going to take. Like, if we definitely had an awesome success and we show that there's a billion dollars worth of revenue to be made with Web3, the big companies will switch immediately. But that's that's a massive success. That's like, you know, we're post-product market fit <laughs> uh, problems. Uh, so, like... Obviously, you know, that's my goal as a founder, but this is a big undertaking competing with these big, massive uh, technology firms. Yeah, absolutely the case. But I happened to just look at it this morning because I was curious. I had no idea. I mean, Solana is crushing all the other blockchains and transactions right now. I, I literally didn't know, but it was larger than, dramatically larger than Ethereum. Yep. Significantly larger than Polygon. Why is nobody talking about that? I mean, if you go, if you're on crypto Twitter, every Solana fanboy, Maxi or whatever is constantly talking about it. <laughs> so, right. Um, we have built uh, a pretty cool technology that really tries to give you everything that you want, which is a large node count to give you that like super high security form of decentralization and a lot of performance. So. And not just performance, it's not strictly about throughput. We, you know, we had to iterate a bunch in the design and, and to get to a point where we're at is, is that we can handle these large mints or these events where there's a lot of demand for a specific thing without creating uh, massive fee spikes on the network for all the users. And this is kind of, I think, the, the real main, main difference between Solana and like every other blockchain out there is every other chain out there doesn't matter if it's a zero knowledge base chain or optimistic rollup or whatever. They're all built around kind of single threaded execution and performance in a in a mempool. And there's this kind of process where a user submits a transaction, it bubbles up to the top of the mempool, block producer picks it up, executes it, all the stuff in sequence, and then user gets a confirmation. That's a very sequential kind of operation that if there's a lot of demand for any given thing, because while these are systems that are shared systems, like a shared Unix process, like back in the 80s, you had like shared workstations. Everybody wants to do something at the same time. Everyone's terrified that they're not going to get a chance to do their transaction. So everyone bids up the, the fees up to the, the economic uh, uh, opportunity cost to that user. So if you have like a liquidation that's worth 50,000 bucks, you might be willing to pay $49,000 for that transaction to go through, <laughs> right? Like that, that's, that's kind of yeah. like the, the, the massive problem with, I would say every other blockchain that's been out there. Um, and it took us a while. Like this wasn't something that we got right from the, from day one, we had massive congestion problems. Um, 
last year and observing them and understanding what was causing them allowed us to build something really, really cool, which are the, the localized fee market. So when we have like the Mad Lads mints alongside with all the stupid meme coins, transactions just didn't budge for like Helium was migrating their NF their hotspots at the same time to Solana and their fees were completely flat because that was a different part of the state. All the spikes were localized and you saw like, uh, you know, this awesome, you know, nearly a million IoT devices become NFTs in about 24 hours without any interruption to to service to uh, to them or to the folks trading NFTs, which is pretty cool. Are, are those outages now a thing of the past? I mean, is that a false narrative that people are now perpetuating based I'm, on what happened before, I'm, or is that still I'm, possible? I'm not I know you probably are yeah, hesitant to say never again, right? Yeah, but, never uh, again. Well, like <laughs> I want to say never again, right? But I'm an engineer, and I can tell you that like it's a bunch of code written by humans, and all the testing and everything else that we do, you can still make a mistake. So the last bug was actually there from. Genesis. It was a misconfigured buffer that was uh that got saturated. Like the size that it was set up for was just not something that um it was tested for like in real life. Um something like that could sneak through, but I think those are becoming fewer and fewer and further in between. The fundamental kind of core design of the technology where you have massive demand for access to block space being able to isolate it and shape the traffic so that massive demand does not cause congestion for everyone else. That's been live since uh, basically last breakpoint since uh, November last year. And it's been through the ringer and we've seen it work over and over again. And that I feel like design-wise, we're ready for that like, let's scale crypto to all the users all in one chain. It's all possible. Like I, I have no doubts that we are actually like uh, proven that you can run all of crypto, all of finance on, on a single monolithic chain. So that, that to me is really exciting. Um, in terms of making sure that there's never any bugs, I think that we are doing massive amounts of testing. I, I wrote a blog post, uh, basically a third of the engineering team is now just focused on reliability. Um, but the biggest other project that's in the works is that there's a second team building a second implementation of the Solana validator from the ground up and that's really what's going to give you that redundancy because it's very unlikely that two high quality teams will write the same bug at the same time, like in the, in the same place. So that, that level of reliability, I think it is, you know, the Byzantine fault tolerant <laughs> paper actually mentions this. You need to have separate teams building separate clients. So um, I'm excited, like seeing the progress of that team and um, hoping by end of the year, they'll be on test now. You talked about, mempools obviously on other blockchains and for people who don't know that's just effectively the queue of transactions that have, haven't gone through but it seems that we could literally rename the meme pools at this point because memes are congesting <laughs> every network not called solana right pepe is yeah. absolutely murdering ethereum at the moment and ordinals and brc20 tokens to some degree are congesting the bitcoin network to the point where exchanges are having to halt withdrawals of bitcoin Yep. That was actually why I started looking into crypto. This was 2017. Bitcoin fees were getting to 70 bucks a transaction. And I, and I had this like, okay, why, why is this thing so slow moment? Like, actually, let, let me dig into the tech and understand it and what makes, what makes it expensive and slow. 
So that was the, you know, the inspiration is that the 2017 congestion era. I mean, does that mean that Bitcoin is just not fit for purpose for this specific thing? I know we're all Bitcoiners. We all love it. But I think most of us love Bitcoin as the store of value or digital gold or hard money narrative. There's definitely a big push to build everything that we've seen now on other blockchains with Bitcoin as the base layer. You know, I'm really curious to see how that'll pan out. Um, I think it's going to be clunkier and like the UX is not going to be as good. But I think it's possible to get most of the things working on top of Lightning and, and these things. And like, then it's going to be up to user preference in, in terms of what they want. And that's actually pretty cool. Like, even if, even if it's slow, um, Bitcoin has such massive Lindy effect and it, it is the biggest thing in, in crypto that having it support, you know, like stable coin transfers on top or something like that would, would be meaningful, I think, in terms of getting crypto wider adoption, like usage in terms of usage and like wider adoption around the world. Um, it's going to be much harder for like, I think, regulators to argue about technology preferences when you have similar things on Bitcoin and Ethereum and Solana. Like they're not going to be be able to like cut one off, right? Like right, work, right? Like, yeah, it's actually like, good for everybody if it's yeah. uh, happening in multiple places. Right. Kind of the Hydra exactly. right? <laughs> three headed exactly. serpent. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So why do you think that we haven't seen more mass adoption of Lightning when we've seen these congestion issues and block wars in the past? And I think there's a general awareness that you know on the main chain, it's just these things aren't going to work. We don't have compelling enough use cases for crypto that normal people would want to use it every day on an everyday basis. So the kind of use cases that you see cause fee spikes in both Ethereum and Bitcoin are, you know, it's very speculative NFT or, or like meme coins for the for the most part. You know, like DeFi summer kind of came and went. And like there, there's not, and that was also like, memes. We, we talk yeah. about how DeFi summer was so like groundbreaking and amazing, but I mean, literally, people were like flipping tacos into yams, and right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was also just another speculative bubble that was a bit of a proof of concept. But I, I think you know, winners emerge from all of those sort of bubbles that we have in crypto. I mean, we wouldn't have Compound and Ave and all these things if we had not had that DeFi summer. So I, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. But you could make the argument that our best killer app so far is still speculation. So, you know, if you take a step back and you kind of think about it, like, you know, there's really, really cool that Ethereum, Bitcoin, and to some extent Solana could implement a self-sovereign money. That's a cool thing. And if the only <laughs> thing that's making it sustain sustainable is speculation, that's maybe good enough. Um, I personally have like higher ambitions for crypto. Like I don't think of Solana as this self-sovereign money store of value. I think of it as a message bus, world computer, kind of that. That's the angle. Like I, I treat it as an operating system. So when I see congestion, I'm like, okay, this is a denial of service bug. Which queue is getting saturated? Let's go fix it. <laughs> kind of that's my mentality when I when I look at it. I look at it as a system of software there to run applications, which is an, an operating system. And the kinds of things that we're trying to bootstrap are like that I'm excited about, you know, Hive Mapper, Helium, you know, like uh, things that could have real world impact. Um, obviously, the phone and, and like to some extent, I feel like there's now 
set of applications that are trying to be like maybe the WeChat of crypto, so Backpack or Dialect. And those have broad range, broad appeal, and could really impact a lot of users, like, you know, non-regular non crypto users' lives, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, if you were of the belief that the only purpose of crypto is to be sovereign money, you probably wouldn't have built a phone. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seems like that would be going pretty much out of your way uh, yeah. if, if that was your belief. But interestingly, though, even then, we're seeing even pushback against layer ones and layer twos that have tokens. I mean, obviously, Coinbase is launching base their own protocol, and there's no token attached. How does that work? Why? I guess then the question becomes, why do we need tokens that are so insanely volatile for the utility on these networks if a blockchain or protocol can be built without a token at all? A layer two can be built without a token. A layer one, I don't think right. can be built. No, because you have, to, you have the incentive to secure the network. But or just, you know, you have to pick who's, who gets to stake, like who gets to be part of the quorum that has to be picked somehow. And if it's not permissionless, then you have a permission chain. You can do a permission chain without a token. But if it's permissionless, they have to be able to trade that weight of the stake somehow. And that's the token, right? Like it, it, that, that becomes a token. It doesn't really matter. Even with something like base, you could, like, I think you can get away without a token because it's a layer two and you have effectively ETH as the, as the asset that's bridged in in some trust minimized way that you can start executing on. Um, and that state is never going to detach itself from ETH L1 because it is a layer two. I don't think projects need tokens. I think honestly, the ones that are survived, um, like OpenSea, Magic Eden, Phantom, MatterMask, none of them have a token. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been struggling with this, to be quite honest. I've said it. I had a couple extra drinks one night at Consensus, and I was sitting with uh, Rand Nooner and his team. And I kind of like in real time vomited that exact thought out of my mouth for about 20 straight minutes that we just did. I mean, we got used to tokenizing or having a token element of all of these things, but the most successful ones are largely ones outside of the actual infrastructure, like the layer ones yeah. don't really have tokens. They're just platforms. It's the sort of picks and shovels in the uh, gold rush approach. Yep. If you can, you know, if you can get PMF and revenues, you don't need a token. Um, I think tokens become interesting if you're trying to incentivize the capital costs of deploying the network. So like physical infrastructure costs. So I don't think it'd be possible to build a helium without a token or like high mapper because you need to incentivize users like staking or whatever, or, or like go, go run the infra. Right. Nobody's going to spend money on a Bobcat or whatever and right. put it on the top of their house uh, because yeah. they like, because they think it's cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think I think that's pretty cool. Like you're you're organizing coordinated crowdsourced action around a token. Um, it's hard to value those things. I think everyone is basically struggling with that. Um, and how that turns out, I think in 10, 20 years uh, would be really cool to see. But that part, I think, is is still like we're still in that unknown stage in crypto there. Yeah, I think we're in the unknown stage and then you add in sort of the regulatory pressure that we're seeing now and it becomes maybe even now more incentivized to launch something that doesn't have the token because they don't even have to worry about being a security. It's obvious why Coinbase is doing it. I mean, there's no way they were going to just launch a token in the face of all this regulatory pressure, but that might yep. sort of set a precedent that you don't need them, 
which is interesting. Talk more about Helium moving to Solana, because I think that that's extremely interesting and really compelling. I've been a Helium fan from the beginning. I had a close friend who like bought a bunch of Bobcats and started putting them on everyone he could find's roof and was truly a believer. And that's why I started looking at it. Why did they make that move and how is that now going? Um, Yeah, so we um, basically their cost of implementing your own blockchain, like a layer one that's scalable is pretty high. Um, and you need a pretty sizable team of experts uh, to do it. And if you don't have to do it, like- Why reinvent the wheel? <laughs> yeah, why reinvent the wheel? Why spend all those resources on blockchain work when they could really hire high quality engineers to work on wireless protocols? Because that's their bread and butter. So. The, the challenge for them, though, and like a lot of IoT projects is that um, there's really no networks that have proven out that they can manage large load and maintain like low fees and be permissionless at the same time, except Solana. So this is why I think they picked us and um, it's awesome working with them. I think it kind of like culture wise, brain wise, I'm very aligned with what they're doing because, again, spent most of my career at Qualcomm. I, Dealing with Verizon is a huge pain in the butt. <laughs> and uh, like the idea of a 5G cellular network that's that's built with a, first of all, incentivized in a decentralized way that everyone can bring into their own cell tower is, is really, really cool. And then coordinated on chain is another really, really cool thing because um, basically the idea that like you can have software-defined networks that are like, managed in the open uh it's just really freaking cool right like kind of like the use case that you can think of is like you're watching a movie on netflix on your phone and netflix could pay to give you higher service for that movie because that movie is you know being promoted or somebody wants like the best quality for that particular thing so they could literally go on chain and pay like you know 50 cents for the tower to give you more bandwidth and prioritize you more that, that kind of basically science fiction for like any of these big carriers. And it's trivial to do in open, with open source technology and an open source data structure, like a blockchain where all the stuff is coordinated in the open. So to me, it's just like really, really exciting. It's kind of like what the internet should have been like, right? This like decentralized layer of like many different kinds of connections that are all glued together in the open. Um, so it, that's just pretty awesome. Um, and it's a lot of work to build a 5G carrier. Um, the amount of uh, radio towers that people estimate that like AT&T or Verizon might need to deploy. So people say like as close to 10 million, probably a million would be um, a very, would, would kind of cover 99% of, of the usage. Uh, and there's a really good chance that Helium could actually get there faster because it's crowdsourced, people I can put up whatever tower I want on my own property. This is kind of like the, the massive advantage that Helium has over AT&T or, or Verizon is that they have to go ask permission to go put all these cell towers on. Yeah, really interesting that you could sort of pay to play as opposed to the subscription yeah. model, which sort of is it's just so massively disruptive. If you're going to just watch a couple movies a month and you could pay uh, 2 or $3 to do it rather than you know, 30 40 bucks for a subscription, who wouldn't do that? Yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I never really even heard that part of it. Are there other things like that that I might be completely missing that uh, people can build on Zolata? So, Hive Mapper is another one uh, that 
I don't think a lot of people know about, but they're growing pretty quickly. So it took him, uh, basically it's a dashboard camera that does kind of this recording of the external world, similar to what Street View does with Google. Uh, but they're able to do it about 200 times faster than Google because the people that put up these devices just constantly record the data around them and their updates are much, much faster than what Google Street View does. Um, there's about 60 million kilometers of road in the world. It took them four months to get to their first 1 million kilometers and four weeks to get to, to their second. Like uh, So now they're covering over 2 million kilometers. Uh, this isn't like the same road over and over. These are like new additional yeah. like yeah, kilometers of, of, of the world. So it's really, really cool. And obviously like that kind of real-time data is kind of, is going to plug in into this like massive machine learning boom that we're seeing now. Because you need uh, these data sets to generate, you know, one to train models to be able to process real-time world data to, to be able to generate the data as well. Have you guys utilized AI at all now to uh, take a look at your code and look for those oh. bugs that you've talked about? Is that now pretty much There's widely being used or not yet? Um, there's a couple folks that are self-posting like scanners for code in, in Solana smart contracts, and it's actually able to find some vulnerabilities. I wouldn't necessarily, like I think somebody that wants to build a security tool on top of AI, that's definitely going to be a product, but it's going to take some work to make sure that it is well-trained on the kinds of problems that are, that like people can find. Like you actually need, I think some, some handholding there and like specific training towards that. But I think it's totally doable. Um, we uh, we have like, we announced, uh, you know, 1 million worth of grant funding. The foundation has announced about that much to for like small time grants for people working in AI. So like, and this ranges from like anyone that's building like a chat tool to get Solana documentation to like, you know, I just saw a post somebody built uh, literally a, a neural network that runs on chain that can recognize digits, <laughs> which is kind of, it's a toy example, but it does demonstrate that you can do small like neural network-like computation on chain, which is pretty interesting. It's kind of mind-blowing how fast it's happening. I thought that crypto adoption was fast. <laughs> you know, when I went through the last few cycles, and it's basically bigger in a month. Then we yeah. uh, became in, you know, 13 or 14 years. Obviously, it's got a lot more sort of mainstream applications. But uh, maybe you're the guy to ask. I I've heard of people obviously using it to find bugs in code. Couldn't somebody use it to implant bugs in code? I mean, somebody has to be the developer that ships the code. Right. That signs off on it. And I think it would be pretty irresponsible for devs to just take auto-generated code and like not have a third party look at it and do like security analysis on it. Yeah, um, but irresponsible is like the uh, key factor of being a human. I think there's going to uh, be plenty of people who take shortcuts who aren't coders at all and want to develop something and just, uh, you know, put it to work and see what happens. But not, not, on, not as layer ones, of course, but even outside of crypto. Maybe. Yeah, I think it's still a lot of work to go from just generate code that's ChatGPT spitting out to like a full product that's onboarding users and stuff. 
And anyone that's willing to put in that much work can probably do that last 5%. <laughs> I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So then you obviously talked about a million dollar grant sort of for small ideas in this. Do you see any places in your mind where there's a very obvious marriage between AI and crypto? Blockchain? No, I don't. There's like some few things like Render also announced uh, they had a vote that they're going to move to Solana. That's one that's pretty obvious where you are, have like, crowdsourced uh, idle infrastructure that you can use for inference or generating, you know, generating images and stuff like that and scenes. That's pretty obvious, right? Like I have idle compute, like it's pain in the ass to figure out how to utilize it in like any other market besides crypto. So you can go use it to, to like generate some um, stable diffusion or like, you know, ray tracing scenes, stuff like that. But it's pretty hard to like, actually i think marry the two like ai is a very nascent field i you use it just kind of it's not part of my core day-to-day -day yet i don't know if it is of yours but um, it is for me but solely for sort of editing content and very sort of menial tasks that maybe an assistant would have done or that uh, just save me time but i'm not i haven't right. used it for to replace anything fully in my life certainly Exactly. I think where things get a little bit interesting is it's probably easier to integrate payment systems into AI that are blockchain based than to deal with any one of these payment companies APIs. <laughs> it's just yeah, way easier. Like you have your autonomous agent with a public key, you give it some tokens, um, and then it can be part of a multi-sig, right? You, all the security, everything else that you'd be dealing with, with like setting up autonomous agents that control finance is just way easier to do with blockchain info. Um, so that could be like, I think the angle that uh, both, you know, blockchain gets adoption and that AI starts doing something more interesting um, in the world. Yeah, there were a lot of companies in blockchain, obviously, that were focused on AI before this craze. But it's almost like they had this kind of pump in price, but we didn't really hear about much adoption of it. Fetch, you know, I've had Humayun on the on the show before from Fetch, and he sort of explained a year ago or even longer all of these things that were coming in AI, but we don't really hear about it in the news cycle that any of it's actually happening on blockchain. Yeah, there, it's still, I think, too early to tell if these products are like something that people are going to use on a day-to-day -day basis. So can we get like a Solana TV, Solana computer? Uh, are we just sticking with the phone for now? Uh, a Solana VR glasses. <laughs> I don't Solana know. Oculus. Yeah. The Loculus. We'll, yeah, we'll see. Um, I think the, the really important part for us with the phone is can we get this thing in, in the hands of like 20, 30,000 like active Web3 users? If we can... That's actually a better distribution channel for devs than the big app stores with like their hundred million users. But because of all the restrictions, like Web three devs can't utilize can do any can't do anything with those users. But if we get this thing in the hands of like twenty thirty thousand like active Web three users that are generating these massive volumes in, in crypto, that's probably the most lucrative distribution channel like any mobile dev could ever ask for. So that's kind of the big bet here and the, the big unknown. Um, but if it works, then that's a viable developer platform. And then 
it's up to the devs. Can they build applications that are so compelling that um, somebody's like, okay, I'm going to give up my, you know, Web2 phone, my iPhone, my, you know, Samsung device and go buy this thing. 20, 30,000 doesn't seem so crazy. That seems it very doesn't. doable. Yeah, we'll see. But like these would have to be active users, right? Not yeah, they have to like, really be yeah. like deep down yeah. the rabbit hole and using yeah. all, all of the features. I guess that begs the next question, which is how many people... How many of those users of Web3, forget phone purchasers, even exist? Do we think it's a million, 10 million, 50 million? I mean, how many people are using this stuff, I guess, is the real question. Um, I would guess it's probably right now under 2 million globally. Somewhere on that much. So, uh, yeah, yeah. so that, that makes twenty to 30,000 people buying the phone, especially when you consider it globally. Uh, I can see why that would be challenging to, to acquire that many. Yep. What would you consider a success? I mean, is it at 20,000 that you're yeah, like, yeah. this was worth it? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. I think it'd be disappointing if it was like five, 8,000 people, but probably still worth it to, to continue. Um, at 20,000, I think it's definitely like a cohort of like users with varying tastes and stuff. And like, if something hits viral, like if an app goes viral there, that's, like enough i think to draw more people into the ecosystem like that's a big enough base that are they you know those twenty thousand people are all tweeting about you know that next application they're like holy shit this is like the most fun i've ever had that that's a big enough uh like flywheel so we need to it's hard for me to know what that number is until we go try and fail right <laughs> you'd yeah. be like well no, that like wasn't anything else. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think we've been in search of that killer app this whole time to some degree, right? I mean, listen, the, the blockchains themselves, layer ones, I believe, are a killer app, and certainly stable coins have been a uh, have been a killer app to a degree. But we're still waiting for that moment. I feel like that one thing that goes so wildly viral, it's not a meme. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. but uh, that goes. Yeah. Like, Stepan had like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, close to two million daily active unique signers. So what happened is it was it their tokenomics that made that fail or the and that were the shoes too expensive right because that really did seem like it was a uh, lightning in a bottle sort of moment. Yeah, so I mean like I think everything else in crypto if you're basing your growth on these like token based rewards as soon as they run out you're going to see a drop in user numbers. So whatever that like some people get a positive value out of simply working out Right. And they see the tokens as like a hook to go get them to go wake up in the morning and go on that run. And, but is that number of people large enough to sustain an ecosystem or not? You know, when, whenever you do these like kind of token based experiments, I think um, it's really, really hard to figure out until you run it and then see, okay, no, this, <laughs> this was not enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the challenge I've had with a lot of these. And I don't fault them. I think that they're really interesting experiments, experiments, and I hope as much as anyone else that one of them really becomes sticky. Right? That that's yeah. That we're not having a conversation about someone had two million users. <laughs> we talk about yeah. how they have you know two million consistent. But that's always been my sort of uh, issue to a degree with NFT communities as well, because I think that people in their mind pretend that they're super passionate about this community until their NFT is worth nothing. Yep. Yeah. This is like, I think, the, the big blind spot, I think, in crypto product development and why I think some of the co companies, like going back to your earlier conversation, don't have a token. The ones that are have stickiness and sticky users and PMF, 
they were able to achieve that without a token and a token might actually like cause that loop and then destruction right they probably would have done exceptionally well for about six months if they did have yeah. a token and then when it crashed they would have completely lost market share because the incentives would be misaligned again yeah. so it is yeah. interesting though it is good to see a pro uh use cases proven that are real and infrastructural and that are, are lasting but it's interesting that those have been without tokens i wonder if we'll see a cycle i don't think it'll be this cycle based on what we're already seeing with uh, thousands of meme coins appearing a day but I wonder if there will be a cycle that is far less reliant on tokens in the, in the future. I think so. Um, my big hope, dream, is that this year Congress passes stablecoin legislation and we see a thousand stablecoins bloom that are competing globally and getting every human in the world access to a digital dollar. And that means that, like, you know, we effectively start onboarding most of the world to to the digital dollar you know on solana because it's the best place to do it <laughs> but effectively like on a, on a fast low-cost blockchain and once you have enough users with wallets and self-custody that are all doing this i think then you really have a, a big enough market you can start testing all the other business models like but we'll see what happens right i think that's one of the one of the pieces that could cause like a massive boom in crypto adoption so you agree with me that stable coins are the killer app? Because I say that all the time and it uh, seems to oh, yeah. be unpopular with Bitcoiners. But the reality is if you're sitting in Venezuela right now and your currency is hyperinflating as much as we want people to rush to Bitcoin, they're still rushing to dollars because that's what they need. Like, so I've seen in my life, I've experienced one superpower collapse. Right. <laughs> right. So like you kind of, you have to gauge it by that. So like, I think of Bitcoin as not a, not a shit coin. It's an, oh shit coin. Like, oh shit, that's, the world around perfect. me, <laughs> the world around me is on fire. Good thing I have some of this to get out of this like really bad jam. And if you think of it as like insurance against that kind of level of collapse, I would not put more than like 1% of my net worth into it. Um, and that's if if everyone in the world does that, Bitcoin is worth bajillions, right? Like right. it's a massive success. Everyone's happy. So like, but this is how kind of how I think of it is like that self-sovereign money is useful when everything around you is on fire, right? And your entire like economy and everything else is collapsing. You have something to get out, right? Like move somewhere, like restart, like enough to pay for your family to like, to leave, which is I think really, really important. And if everyone actually had that insurance, we would probably see those events uh, fewer and farther in between because we all have that hedge, right? Like if, the funny thing about hedges, if everyone's hedging, the thing doesn't happen. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, true. So like, I think that's awesome, right? Like, holy shit, Bitcoin could prevent massive economic collapses. It could allow people freedom to like, to kind of unbank themselves in the worst possible situations. It's an awesome use case. Like no one could have thought that that's possible, you know, from like, you know, 10,000 lines of Python. <laughs> it, it's really, really so fucking true. cool, right? Uh, but I, I think like the only other use cases that people want on a crypto that are trying to attack finance at that like next stage, like the two, 3% rate that all these financial companies take out of every transfer, you know, every fee that the bank does for an overdraft, all that shit adds up. 
into massive amounts of dollars, right? That are spent on moving money and moving numbers around in computers, literally like trillions of dollars per year in the financial sector are spent on nothing more than moving money around in computers. and Or paying so seven people to check right. off on things <laughs> on various sides. Right. right. Yeah. And smart contracts could do this. Solana could do this for like the cost of the hardware, like at whatever replication you want, and it's still going to be way cheaper. And I think that stage of adoption, probably stable coins are the killer use case, because this is what most people want. I don't think they want to deal with like paying for stuff in Seoul. Diehards, you know, NFT traders will, will probably want like the native token because it's kind of just part of the fun of the ecosystem. But I kind of see like, you know, the that the crypto version of WeChat uh will probably end up using, you know, dollar-based digital, you know, digital dollars. Yeah, I guess the only pushback I would give is that if we get stablecoin legislation, I have a feeling they won't allow in that legislation for thousands of stablecoins to blossom all over the world. I have a, fu a funny feeling that it's going to be very specific uh, and they might pick winners. But uh, I'm, bullish, I'm bullish on the United States. More, more or less, they, you know, they argue that, you know, Congress is a shit show, but every functioning democracy should be a shit show. <laughs> it's just part of everyone arguing about like what support to them well at least I they think, can argue yeah <laughs> I, I think, argue. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm bullish from them actually if they do pass something that it'll be very uh economically liberal and, and like pro competition so we'll see what happens though i i would absolutely love to see that happen interestingly Another thing that could push stablecoin adoption actually would be the proliferation of central bank digital currencies. I, I heard you just make that argument for stablecoins. I hate the idea of CBDCs, but I do think yeah. they would at least force everybody to learn to transact digitally, use a wallet, et cetera. And then people would have that oh shit um, moment that you talked about and go into something private. Maybe I'm too optimistic on humanity yeah. there, though. <laughs> It gives me like hives to think about CBDCs and like some kind of such centrally controlled ledger that is mandated to be used by like normal people. I think that's a really bad idea. Um, I think, you know, these things should be like based on competition, based on user preferences and kind of like let the markets figure out what, I, what technologies and privacy and like triangle that people actually want and prefer that's feasible at scale. And I think having any kind of like government mandated uh, protocols would probably set the space back by like solid 10, 20 years. That's a long time, man. 10, 20 years. Because that's how long it takes to update anything. Like in like if once it's mandated, everyone's going to be on it for the next 20 effing years. It's going to suck. Right? You know, yeah, like, that'd suck miserably. While, I would just hope while, that it would yeah. force a certain percentage of the people to opt out and uh, assuming they're allowed to, though, I guess that, that, that's the bigger fear. Is uh, along with the central bank digital currency, maybe comes uh, you don't have permission to do these other things. Exactly, and it's just way too early. Like every six months, there is zero knowledge improvements, privacy improvements that are coming out of research that people need to implement, experiment, see if any of the stuff works, and like that's only possible in a free market of ideas, right? Like you can't. There's no way you can you can pick right now what technology is going to work for the next 20 years. It's just like uh, impossible. So listen, when we talked last time, I sort of asked about the idea of interoperability and could one chain rule them all? You've already said it in this conversation, but I'm assuming your belief still is that all of this could be done on a single chain. 
Yeah, I think there will be multiple blockchains, but they're all designed to be a one a single unifying chain. <laughs> That's the only reason that they'll survive is that they're just <laughs> is that they're trying to win it all, right? Like the ecosystem or like the the use case is trying to win it all, and that's why they'll survive. Um, but obviously, there's very kind of like different. There's very niche, you know, kind of Pareto efficient trade offs that everyone's picking. And um, my views will probably interoperability is, is kind of actually pretty easy from a technology perspective. Um, the hmm. fact that these are all cryptographically driven means that you can build software that manages those keys and then does actions across different chains and you can build protocols that uh, really eliminate most of the security attack vectors. So from my perspective, I think interoperability is the easy part. It's that you need like uh, use cases for users that actually care about any of this stuff, like interoperability or anything like that. Like so, so far, like we just haven't seen like, you know, like a user that wants an NFT on Solana, they don't need like a cross-chain protocol to go get that NFT. They can go bounce through like a Binance or Coinbase and move tokens from one chain to the other and then go buy the NFT that they want. It's kind of a pain in the butt, but it's like, they can do it already, right? So like how- Yeah, we would need millions of people yeah, caring right. about that to even right. want to build these things. It seems like yeah. this is yet another- Maybe this is the case for a lot of things that have been built, just sort of a uh, solution in search of a problem. Yeah, there, there's it is a problem, and I'm sure some people will use it, but the market addressable market size, the TAM, right? Like for that user base is pretty small. Mm. So one chain to rule them all. <laughs> to, to, to every... No, well... I think the the chains that will survive, there will be multiple, are the ones that are gunning for that like one chain to rule them all uh, crown. You have to have that mentality. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, I'm just I don't know how your feeling is about you know tribalism and crypto, and but it's been entertaining at least for me to watch the Bitcoin community squirm as they've tried all of this. Um, it's the web. I mean, it's just people should should posting on Twitter. Like, I think this has been the foundation of the web since the 90s or bulleted boards full of just as just as tribal people talking about like Linux file systems. So, like, I think, But now you've got uh, money attached to it. This is Linux file systems with, uh, with extremely volatile tokens and, and generally <laughs> self-interest. So I think people get as religious about random things with or without money. I don't, I don't think honestly, I don't think it makes that big of a difference. Well, then I guess for you, you'll hope that uh, you become the high priest of the winning religion. <laughs> it's funny, I, you know, there was an article maybe last year by this guy, the stalwart, uh, Joe Wiesenthal at Blueberry, and it was that Bitcoin was a religion. And he went through this whole thing, and I freaked out. My gut reaction was like, this is wrong, it's offensive, whatever. And I wrote this whole thing, and he hated me as a result. And and then like a year later, I was like, eh, maybe I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he was right, and uh, maybe there is an element of that. A lot of things are like, I think religion is the wrong word. It is, um, but it is similar to like an experience of faith because uh, this happened with like I think Apple with open source with like you get a hold of a technology that is nascent. It's in these early stages, and it sh transforms how you think about tech right or or these things but you don't see the 
benefits of it and you know that they're coming, but it's just going to take 10 to 20 years to roll out. And you yourself like get bought in into that idea that like this is inevitable, right? Like in 20 years, everyone's going to be writing open source software and, and only open source software. And in the 90s, that was very hard to believe. You were Microsoft, Oracle, all of these big boxes. Yeah, you were nuts big, if you believed in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it happened, right? <laughs> and like that, that's kind of like the the weird thing I think about these things uh, is that it is almost like a you're building on faith that like it's inevitable, but you're also those folks are required to actually act, make that happen. You need to have those builders that are building through the the ups and the downs, and like have a very strong conviction that technology that they're developing is going to change the world, and they see that change. It's just not here yet. So. Yeah, um, I, I will say that, you know, I always kind of joke because it's fun to watch uh, the infighting, but I think that Bitcoin maxis are historically the most valuable members of this community because they pushed it and believed in it for as long as they did in the face of endless sort of fun and pushback. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's important. You also have like these, you know, everyone fractures and factionalizes and then everyone starts fighting each other. I think uh, I'm I'm a bit more open. I think the the parts that I don't yeah I, the parts that I don't like is the of maximalism is that you're picking like it's like if you're if you go against the the maximalist doctrine you are being excluded from the community. You're like being ostracized for it, uh, yeah. and that is like effectively how like heretics. This is how, like, yeah, this is how, like, extreme, like, extreme systems form, right? You, like, the Bolshevik party doctrine, like, if you were going against it, you would be expelled from the party, and then you lose access to, like, everything, right? Like, and that's how you kind of create these structures of, like, authoritarian control. And, like, I personally, like, ugh. Like it just makes me <laughs> a CBDC will do that yeah. much easier yeah. than any ideology did. That's really right. the really the, the fear of the CBDC right yeah. there because don't like um, uh, what you said. There goes your money. That I think is pretty unlikely, at least in the US. I think, uh, yeah, in China, it's pretty yeah. likely, but yeah, I think, yeah, maybe in these authoritarian countries, like, but in the US, I imagine the CBDC would be like the interbank ledger. Yeah. Um, I agree. Which is, but like, even that I feel like is pretty lame because (laughs) (laughs) it's all lame. Yeah. Unless they're like really forward thinking about the protocols and allow like real free market competition there. But it's just really hard for them because the relationship between the banks and the federal government is very much so not like a free market it's kind of very regulated space well i hope we win uh that hour went by exceptionally fast man so where can everybody uh follow you and uh, check you out after this conversation uh you know go to solanamobile.com and buy a saga that's that's what i'm gonna go buy one yeah awesome Awesome. i I feel like we all have to right like I'm obligated to to try it. I can't talk about all this stuff without actually uh, putting my hands awesome. on it. So I'm going to yeah. go do that. Everybody go buy it's, a phone. Yeah. It's not going to take a lot of people. All we need is like 20,000 really cool Web3 users. And that that could be the wedge to take down Google and Apple. So think of yourself as like those super early adopters.
Fight the powers that be. But yeah, in, the of, exactly. in the words of public enemy, I love it, man. Thank you so much for uh, taking right. the time. As always, can't wait to do it again. Thanks, man. All right. See you.